Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Thank you, Amanda. Well, and if you're a visitor or something, you might uh, be looking around seeing a lot of kids. Today's also our fifth uh, Sunday. Any month that has five Sundays in it, our our children's ministry uh, takes a takes a day off and we invite all the kids into the service so you'll see a lot more kids and kids welcome we're glad that you're with us this morning uh the nursery is still open so if you've got a baby to what does that go to four okay four years old okay pre-kindergarten i guess yeah if you have any kids in that and would like to you can uh, go check them in uh again welcome if you're a visitor uh one other thing that just came to my mind that i want to point out and it'll kind of fit it into the even into the message here in a little bit um a new covenant on the third sunday of every month we take congregational communion which is actually going to line up with easter this year so on easter uh, sunday we'll be taking communion together uh, but we always have the elements available here on both sides of the stage and then back by the sound booth so during worship you saw you know some people in crowds gathering around these what they were doing was taking communion together uh, and just breaking breaking bread and and in remembrance of Jesus' body and his blood. And so anytime uh, during worship or after the service, you're also welcome to do that. Also, uh, we don't pass an offering plate um, here at New Covenant. We take our tithes and offerings with these boxes on the walls. There's two here, two in the foyer, and one by um, the as you go into the children's area. So if you want to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, you can do that also at any time uh, using those boxes. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14, and we're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, if you were here with us last Sunday, uh, you'll remember that Candy, my wife, uh, she, she was here in the early service. Right now she's actually helping in the nursery, um, which I'm going to get to an example in a minute about us that I'll be able to be able, have a little bit more freedom in this service since she's not here present with us. Um, and somebody always tells her, so I know I don't get away with it. But anyway, um, so we'll get to that in a moment. But Kenny and I had uh, taken a trip to Israel, and we kind of gave some of our testimony last week. And one of the things that she shared was a word uh, that she believed the Lord gave her while we were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to read you a portion of this. Um, if you would like, or if you didn't get it last Sunday, there's a little slip of paper out there that has uh, the whole word that she got printed out. And so you can pick up a copy of that. But I'm just going to share a portion of what, of what she shared last Sunday. It says, this new covenant is a church of healing. Uh, people come here and they're healed physically, emotionally, and mentally. We as a church need to not be afraid of it, but embrace it because a flood is coming. A flood of people who are going to need Jesus. In this small little town, he says to be faithful and pray because people are going to need him. And he needs the warriors in this church to be his hands and his feet. And if we're going to live out this word, uh, we need to be ready to love our brothers and sisters. And I want to explain, you know, if, if you're new as a Christian or just new, uh, just coming in and seeing what this is all about, that term might kind of throw you like, what, what are you talking about brothers and sisters? Well, in the Bible, uh, when Jesus came, like Theron uh, said during the worship, he was talking about how you could accept Jesus into your heart. And uh, Jesus Christ is the son of God. And it says when we accept Christ into our heart, he comes to dwell in us. And then we're like sons and daughters to God. And so if we're if we all have the same father, 
we're brothers and sisters. So that's what that's talking about. Well, how many of you know as a family with brothers and sisters, kids included, you can, you can be involved in this conversation. How many of you know that there's some odd people in your family? Yeah. Okay, if you don't have your hand raised, you're it. Yeah, there, okay, David, right there, it's okay. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, don't. And this goes for dealing with any people. You know, we're people. Like Theron said, not one of us has it all together. Not one of us um, knows all the truth. Or, or, uh, and not one of us doesn't need Jesus Christ. We all need him only through his sacrifice, only through what he did. And, you know, we're, we'll be kind of building up to Easter, uh, which is just three weeks away. But with only by that sacrifice, only by that salvation, can any of us come to him. And so my point here is that as if that word comes true, and I believe it will because God spoke it. But as it comes true and people come in who have never been in church before, who don't know what church is like or what it's supposed to be. They might not be dressed like you. They might, God forbid, sit in your chair. <laughs> That's already happened. I've heard of the stories. It's like, well, we had to move over here because somebody was sitting in our chair. And I'm so thankful that you just went and sit somewhere else. I've heard stories and things. I've heard stories about people just walking up and literally saying, you're in my chair. You've got to sit somewhere else. And I'm like, no. So even before we get into the point here, may I ask you, if you come in one day and someone's in your chair, please sit somewhere else. It'll be okay. And I'll explain this morning. That's what this whole message about is why that's okay. Um. My wife and I, uh, and we'll get to the scripture just here in a second, but Kenny and I have been married almost 20 years. And this is the example that I felt like God gave me to really you know, drive this point home this morning. Uh, we've been married 20 years, and for 20 years, uh, her and I have cooked eggs differently. And both of us cook. It's whoever has the most time. Uh, you know, it's not about, you know, you cook all the meals or whatever. We just, whoever, whoever is available and can cook does. But we learned really early on in the marriage, you know, the first time I'm cooking eggs, you know, she's like, what do you do it? You know, you're using the wrong utensil to scramble eggs, you know. And then I see her, I'm like, what do you use? And she shows me uh, what she uses. I'm like, you're crazy. You know, nobody in their right mind scrambles eggs, you know, with this utensil. Um, this our whole little row of kids right here. We're getting into it before the message and several different utensils right here. Uh, and, and some people after the service were like, well, we use this and we use, you know, we use this and that, and that's great because that, that makes my point. Um, so then every time Candy scrambles eggs, she pulls out her stirring utensil. And every time I scramble eggs, I still get mine. You know, neither of us has convinced the other. Both of us, and, and I really thought we'd grown more, but I, on the, we went to Fredericksburg yesterday for a tennis tournament, and my kids can attest they were witnesses. And it comes up because I was like, I was going to use this as an example. Is it okay and all that? But we get into another argument on the like the merits of our utensil. You know why? Why mine is right? But like I said, it actually made the point all the more because here, here's the point. Whether I scrambled eggs or candy scrambles eggs, you know what we end up with? 
scrambled eggs every single time. And you know what? They even taste the same. There's little, there's no difference. And, but for whatever reason, because, you know, probably her mom used that, my mom used the other. That's just, you know, we grew up on that. <laughs> you know, that's just the way you do it. And that's what Paul's talking to us about in Romans 14. You can read along if you've got it there. If not, it'll be on the screen. He says, in, starting in verse 1, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gave, gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So look at verse 1. He says, welcome your... And I'm uh, using brother or sister here, and he'll actually use that term in a little bit. So I think it applies. But he says, welcome your brother or sister in Christ who is weak in the faith, but not to argue over opinions. So often in the church, we take our opinions to the level of God's word. And God never said anything specific about that. And he's using these examples of food, of what to eat, what not to eat, or days of the week that one person says this day is better than the other. They celebrate a holiday there and we don't. And what Paul's saying is it doesn't matter. These, these are matters of opinion. Let it go. Uh, I was talking with Pastor Darrell uh, early in the week, and he was telling me a story uh, when he was at his first church appointment. Um, he got there, and he was he was young. I think he was like 19, 20, something like that. And uh, on the baptistry shelf, there was a, a small vase with a plastic rose in it that he said had about an inch of dust on it. And I, it was just always there. And so he decided, you know, that that old plastic flower doesn't need to be there. So he got it and he took it out and put it, you know, somewhere else in the church. Well, it didn't take long for people to realize that the, the flower was gone. And the, the person that had donated or put it up there one Sunday, they'd actually passed away years ago. They weren't even alive anymore. But, you know, so-and-so put that flower there. And so, you know, a, a conversation ensued about the missing flower. And it actually went all the way to a church vote. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> you know, and guess what? Pastor Daryl lost. <laughs> so the flower went back on, on, the, on the deal. But you know what? It didn't matter. And you could say in this example, Pastor Darrell was the stronger of faith because he, he, he didn't leave the church. He didn't resign as pastor because he lost the battle of the flower. Um, he just let it go. And that's what Paul's talking about here. 
It's a matter of opinion. It doesn't matter. And if God's going to be bringing in a flood of people, like this word said, of people who did not grow up in church, who don't know all the right ways to do everything. And by the way, it's not necessarily the right way. It's just your way. Or it's just my way. And I'm preaching to myself because I still use the right spoon. (laughs) Yeah, according to me. But it's the right one. (laughs) It has to be. But it doesn't matter. And so what Paul's saying is, you don't, don't force the weak person to eat what their faith won't allow them to eat. Let them not eat it. But as a weak person, don't judge the strong because they are. And as the strong person, don't, it says they despised these people who didn't have strong enough faith to eat whatever they wanted to or the day discussion. And so another thought that came to my mind was, I never looked at it this way, but um, you know, I think a lot of us might have our position in the wrong place. According to Paul's description, you might have always thought, well, I'm the the strong one in this case, but by your behavior, you may actually be the weak one. And some of you might have thought, well, I'm weak in the faith, or I thought I was weak in the faith, but by Paul's description, I'm actually the strong one. And so here's the example. He says, the weak were judging the strong. So you might have thought you're righteous, you got it all together, and you go around judging everybody. And your spouse might be like, yeah, that's that's you. You But Paul says, if you're judging everybody, you're the weak one. And then you might have uh, thought you were weak. I'm sorry, I'm getting these backwards. Yeah, you might have thought you were strong. Because you had, but now you see that you were despising everybody. (laughs) And see that way. And Paul says, no, if you're despising everybody then you're the strong one. But both are wrong. And what Paul comes into this argument, he says, the person who's, quote, weak in the faith is wrong by their behavior, and the person who's, quote, strong in the faith is wrong by their behavior. He's coming in and saying, nobody's right. You're both wrong because you're treating each other wrong. It doesn't matter how, you know, where your faith level is. You're behaving incorrectly. And that's uh, what we see here is, is an opportunity for us to grow in our faith and love other people like we're supposed to love them. Set these opinions aside. We're not talking about setting, you know, saying that anything that anybody does and that all, you know, there's nothing that's wrong or there's nothing that's sin. The New Testament clearly says uh, over and over, and actually we'll look real quickly, that Paul in this same letter calls out a whole list of sins. And he doesn't say Oh, just ignore those and work together in unity. He calls those things out. He's saying these things that are matters of opinion, that are not important, that are little petty things. Don't let those things get in the, in the way of you being unified. And so kids, uh, listen up. As brothers and sisters, have you ever had your parents, you're in an argument, and I know this is true because I was just talking to someone before the service <laughs> that had this happen this morning. But... Your kids are arguing and you walk into the situation and you say, you're both wrong. You know, there's two opinions here. So you would think one's got to be right, but that's not true. There's plenty of times where both of you can be wrong. 
And so as parents, we, we mediate that. We get involved. And that's what we're going to see this morning is that God gets involved and he's the one that gets to make the call. We're all brothers and sisters. Have you told your kids before? You don't, you're not the boss of your sister or brother, even if you're the older one. You know, you have to get in that. And that's what God's saying. That's what Paul's saying here. He's like, you're brothers and sisters. You're not the boss of each other. You're all servants of the same Lord and master. Serve him and let him decide. Let's leave it up to the Lord. So let's jump to verse 7. He says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself, to God. So Paul says, look, we're all servants. Nobody's the boss of each other. Why are you judging each other? Why are you despising each other? We're all serving the same master. Let him be the judge. Leave it to him, especially in these matters of opinion. This statement that he uses, he says, uh, whose faith is weak when he's talking about the weak person. It's not talking about weak faith in the sense of like they're less saved. Like the strong person in the faith is more saved than the weak or the weak person is less saved than the strong. What it literally translates to is as one who is weak with respect to faith. Uh, you may have heard of the scripture that says, uh, you know, in Christ there's freedom. You know, he sets us free. If you're free in Christ, you're free indeed. And so what this is saying is, is if you were strong in respect to faith, those are the people who knew it doesn't matter if you eat this meat or don't. It's, it's all going into the body. Jesus said that. He said, nothing's going to corrupt you that goes into your mouth. It, it's what comes out of your mouth from your heart. That's what's going to defile you. It doesn't matter what you eat or put in. That's not going to defile you. So the strong in faith had enough freedom to know it didn't matter what they ate. That wasn't going to condemn them. But the weak would have thought they would have had, you know, my mom always used a spoon. You know, there's no other spoon to use. I'm not going to let go. I can't eat meat. We only eat vegetables. Their faith hadn't gotten to a level where their conscience could be clear if they ate meat. And Paul's saying, it's okay. Use your spoon. Eat the vegetables. Don't eat the meat. But don't judge the people who are eating the meat. And then he talks to the people who are eating the meat and who are, quote, strong in their faith. You've got this liberty. You know it. Don't despise the weak. Let them, let them do what their faith is capable of allowing them to do. It's okay. And so that's, again, if we, if we, not only people that are coming into the church, but if we're just interacting with people, like I started out, you know, who has that odd family member? Who has that coworker that just annoys you? 
There's nothing that they're doing to you that you could go to the Bible and say, well, they're sinning and they're treating me this way. or And maybe there is, but then they're just doing what they're supposed to if they're not a Christian. But most of the time, there's just little things that bug us. And what Paul's saying is, lay all of those things aside. If you're the strong person, be the strong person. Serve the person who's weak. Love the person who's weak. Show them Christ's love. Show them Christ's mercy. Because you know what? He showed it to you. He showed it to me. And so we're giving that same grace, that same love, back as it was given to us. So like I said, I'll read a, there in Romans 1, 29 through 31. I won't, it won't be on the screen, but this is just a short list of some sins that in this same letter in Romans 1, Paul calls out. He calls out the unrighteous, those that coveted, envied, caused strife, those that were deceitful, malicious, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, disobedient to parents. I always throw that one in there when there's kids. Uh, obey your parents, children. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And that's, a, that's not a complete list. But the point is, he's saying those things, and he doesn't say, overlook those things, let it go. It doesn't matter if someone's, you know, gossiping and causing strife in your whole body. You know, just deal with it. You know, keep the unity. It's not a big problem. Let it go. He's absolutely not saying that. He's saying in those things, it's, we're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to strengthen one another. We're supposed to challenge one another in those things and say, this isn't what God's calling us to. This isn't what Christ called us to. And we're going to walk with you in that, in love. But when it comes down to what are you going to eat or not eat, which spoon are you going to use, are you going to have a flower on the baptistry or not, All you know, let it go. Did they sit in your seat? Do we not have an instrument on the stage that you want? Or do we have an instrument that we shouldn't have? Or, you know, I mean, all of these things in the church world are problems and contentions. And literally churches will split over things of matters of opinion. But he's saying, let those things go and be unified as a body of believers. So we're going to look real quickly at one of Jesus's parables. Uh, And it speaks to a matter that I think it it, and it pulls all of this together. Um, And in the verse 17, it's, it's in Matthew 20. But in verse 17, you'll see that this is Jesus is actually teaching this parable as they're on the way to Jerusalem for his final week on earth before he gets crucified and, and comes back. Uh, so you can think of, you know, in this last series that we just got through, we talked about kind of what Jesus was teaching right before he was going to go to the cross. Again, this is this is just like a week prior to that. So, again, you kind of think, OK, he's trying to get that last lesson in trying to get that last thing of importance in to try to make the disciples understand everything they need to understand before he's going to go so in matthew 20 verse 1 and this will be on the screen as well says for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard and after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour he saw others standing idle in the marketplace And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again in about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? 
They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. I'll just kind of paraphrase the rest. But so basically the first one, he made a specific agreement. You go into the vineyard, work all day. I'll give you a day's wages. The next three times he went out, he just said, um, you know, we'll make sure it's okay. Just go, go to work. Then he comes at the very end of the day and sends out another group. And he, first he just asks them, why are you still here? They're like, well, nobody's, nobody's hired us. He doesn't say anything about the pay. He just says, go work in my field. And they do. So the part that, that I'll summarize is so they come back from working all day and the master tells his servant, pay everybody. But start with the guys that went out last and then pay uh, the guys that started first last. And, and he also says, pay them all a denarius. And, and I would say this is something that hits the American culture, but it obviously hit this culture as well because they weren't happy. Everybody that worked more got increasingly angry down to the ones that worked the whole day. And they're like, they thought, and it says in the, you know, while they were in line in their mind, they're like, wow, we're going to get a bonus. Because he's paying that guy that just came out what he said he was going to pay us. And it turns out, no, he paid him exactly what they agreed to. And uh, so then they go directly to the master and complain and like, what's the deal? You, you know, and his response is, what do you mean, what's the deal? We had an agreement and I did exactly what I said. But they're saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. We worked more than those guys, and you gave them the same thing. And he says, what is it to you? It was my field. It's my money. We agreed. You know, what do you care if I'm more generous to them, but I'm fair with He is being fair. I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do with you, but you're mad because I'm being more generous with this other person. And so... Like I said, we don't, I, I, maybe you like this parable. I don't like it. <laughs> it hits me the wrong way. I'm like, because I agree, it's not fair. But when we apply it to the kingdom of God, look at it this way. Have you ever looked at somebody else and think, well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner and I was saved by God's grace and that's the only way I would have gotten saved. But you know what? My debt wasn't as big as theirs. God forget, you know, you know, maybe I had a hundred thousand dollars of debt, but man, that person had a billion. You know, they'd really blown it big. So God forgave them way more than He forgave me. So I should get some kind of credit. You know, I should get something extra because He didn't have to use all that extra grace on me. Really? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, the Bible says all of our righteousness, everything we do right, is like filthy rags and compared to the glory and what God is. So it doesn't matter what amount of sin you had to forgive. It was the same. God didn't get to spare some grace on you and have to use that extra grace on somebody else. The other part of this is you can look at it as the time of service. How, you know, when were you, how old were you when you got saved? Did you get saved and follow Christ? You followed him your whole life? Or did you just recently come to Christ? Maybe you came to Christ this morning as part of the worship service. Or maybe you haven't yet. But when you come to Christ, do we look at it like, well, I got gypped because I came to Christ too soon. I didn't get that opportunity to just sin and do all the stuff I want to do and have that, you know, like get the best of both worlds. I could get all the sin I wanted. And then if I don't get saved till the end, I still get heaven, too. 
And on it, like, I, this has actually been a struggle for me uh, my whole life, it, but it's a good struggle. I, I actually thank God for it. Um, I grew up in the church. My parents were in the church and ministers. My grandparents were missionaries. It's like I literally, my, you know, most recent memory is walking with Christ. I don't know what it's like to not. So one of the things that I would deal with was, am I saved or am I not? Because if you always were, you don't know what it was like to not be. But I'll talk to people who did live many years in the world and no relationship with Christ. And then when they came to him and the difference. And if you ask any of those people, would you have preferred to start with Christ? All of them would say, absolutely. They wouldn't have wanted the freedom of living in sin their whole life just to come that last minute to Christ. And so what, what this is saying is regardless of where you come in the game, it's okay. It's by grace. It's by his mercy. It's by his love. It takes the same difference and we're all going to end up and we're still brothers and sisters and there's no difference in the relationship. But the whole point of both of these stories is don't worry about the other person. God called them. And you know what else is in this story is every time the master went to the labor pool. None of these people found the master on their own. By his grace, he went to the first people. By his grace, he went to the second, third, and fourth group. And by his grace, he went back for the fifth one. They didn't, any of them, do anything to deserve what they got. So he has saved us all by grace. And he's going to save the next person by grace. And the last person by grace. So let's receive them the same way Christ received us. In his grace, in his mercy, and in his love. The last scripture that we're going to look at is in Romans 15.1. And it's how do we respond? Given all of this, so what do we do? What, how should we respond to this, this truth? Oh, I'm sorry. One, this isn't on the scripture, but one thing I wanted to throw in here. As I mentioned that this last parable, Jesus was teaching on his way to Jerusalem, knowing in a week he's going to be crucified. And he actually says, um, we didn't read it. You could pull up the slide eight, Pat. It's at the very end of verse 18. Um, Jesus, or in verse 17, it says, And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus is telling them, We're on the way to Jerusalem. This is what's about to happen to me. And he tells them this right after he just told them this story. And you know what happens in the very next verse, in verse 20? The mother of one of the disciples comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, can James and John sit on your right hand and your left hand? Can they be at the highest place position of all the servants of all time, you know, at at your father's side? And Jesus is like, that's not mine to give. (laughs) The father's got to make that call. And he just said, you know, the first is going to be last. The last will be first. He's like, it's not about you fighting for who's the best. And what happens? The disciples break out in an argument because these guys asked before they could and they want to know who's, you know, what's the pecking order? List us one through 12, Lord, please. We need to know. And that's what this and what Paul's teaching us in Romans is Jesus and Paul are saying, that's not what it's about. We're all brothers and sisters. 
We're all servants. We all have the same master. Serve when and where he called you and just do what he tells you to do. And the master, the Lord, who is, we read earlier, who is going to make you stand is also the one that is going to give you your reward. And you can trust that he's good. And you're going to get a good reward. Just worry about what he set before you, not what set before someone else. So what's our response? Romans 15, one, verses 1 through 7. And this is, this is Paul just in the next chapter from where we read a moment ago. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And I love, you know, he doesn't just say bear with the weak. That would be enough or more than enough for most of us. He actually says bear with their failings. He's like, they're going to fail. They're going to make mistakes. Bear with those things. Let us, each of us, please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So we who are strong should be serving the weak, putting up with their failings, putting up if they're annoying us, putting up, put up with the fact that they use the wrong spoon. I've bored with the failings of my wife for 20 years. Do not tell her I said that. That, that has to stay in here. And I know I can trust you all. Not all. Yeah, no. Mathis is going to wrap me out. Um, Because it doesn't matter. Those little things just don't matter. And then verse 3, for Christ, the example, he did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And I always thought this was talking about, like Jesus was saying, the reproach that fell on you fall on me. But it's not. He's, He's the one in the seat, and he's talking to God Jesus is saying, all the reproach of mankind that has fallen on you, they're taking out on me. And what Paul is saying is like, look what Christ took on himself. And then we make this little piddly sacrifice that we think is so big that we, you know, oh, I got to put up with this or that or so-and-so does this. And I'm, you know, I'm being so sacrificial because look what I'm taking on. It's like, come on. Look what Christ did, the reproaches that all of mankind put on God, Jesus took on himself and went to the cross and died for us because he loved us so much. It was months back, I don't don't remember exactly when, but it came to my mind in the first service. um, I had taught a sermon uh, where I just said that, you know, if we could kill God, the Father, we would. That's That's our sin nature that's how much we want to do what we want to do how we want to do it the way we want to do it because it's the right way and we all want to be lord and master ourselves, just like the early church did just like the people in the story did everybody wants to be the boss that's why satan fell that's why adam and eve fell into sin because they thought they could be like god and the closest opportunity we ever got to being able to kill God the Father was when he sent his son and we took it. Mankind killed Jesus Christ and the reproaches that man had for God the Father, they took out on the son and they killed him. And Jesus did it willingly, sacrificed himself. And he's saying, all that I'm asking you is to give the same grace that I gave to you 
to your brothers and sisters who haven't come in yet. To treat them with the same love and the same mercy and the same kindness. Verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. If we love each other, Jesus said the world will know you by your love. Can we really say that? Do they see us? Do they know us by our love? Or can we not overlook the wrong spoon? Can we not overlook the flower on the vase? Can we not overlook that they sat in my chair? Or will we show the same love, the same mercy, and welcome them the same way that he welcomed us? If we walk in this, in this way, with this love, God will trust us enough to bring those that need his love, that need his mercy, that need his grace, that need his forgiveness here. And he'll bring them into your pathway. He'll bring them into a conversation at work. A conversation will come up in your home with your children. A conversation will come up with your neighbor. He will bring these people into your life if he knows that he can trust you with them. He will bring them here if he knows that he can trust us with them. But if we're going to send them on their way because they don't line up to the right way, my way to do something, he's either not going to send them to us or if he does and they leave, he's going to leave with them. And he'll let us have church on our own. We'll be able to look at his word. We'll sing songs. We can preach a sermon. And believe it or not, we can do all those things without God. And that scares me to death. The last thing I ever want to do is have church without him. But if we will receive everyone as Christ received us, He'll not only bring them, he'll meet us here every Sunday. And he'll meet you out at your workplace and in your home and everywhere that two or people, two or more are gathered to talk about him. We hear some great stories and what, you know, we mentioned testimony and witness last week. You know, that's something if you ever have a testimony or witness of something that God's doing out in your daily life, tell us. Send us an email. Do something. I really feel like we are going to be like start sharing those things because I think it encourages others when they say, "Look what God's doing," and He's doing a lot. We do hear some of those stories. I like two weeks ago we had a deal that happened in church, and then I find out there's like three or four kids in eighth period at the high school talking about it. Like that's awesome. It doesn't matter if they agree or not; they're talking about God. At the school in eighth period. I'm like, that's awesome. So let's share it. Let's share those testimonies about what God is doing. But if we'll do this, he'll bring them to our path and he'll bring them here that they might come to him through our witness of Christ. 
Will you bow with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, You are the God of endurance and encouragement. And our prayer, my prayer this morning, is that You would grant us to live in such harmony with one another, in such unity and accord with Christ Jesus, that together we will with one voice glorify You, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.